All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome. We are so excited to bring today's Good News in Park show to you. This big cities topic has been showing up on your post-show surveys um, for a while, so we're really excited to make it happen. Uh, we had a couple of great quotes come in on the past survey. Um, we absolutely loved the John Quincy Adams quote that was shared by Paul Wilmoth, which was, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. And one amazing quality of people in Parks and Recs is your humble nature. And while you are very deep in the day's decision every day, it's normal to question leadership qualities, but it doesn't matter if you are a director, a programmer on the maintenance staff or whatever you do, your community see you all as leaders for the services, the spaces and the happiness that you bring to everybody's lives. So thank you for that reminder, Paul, and that good news. We appreciate you and your leadership too. Um, we also had a lot of new viewers last week, so thanks to all of you for spreading the good word about good news. Remember that when you reference somebody on the show and they add your name on that registration form as the person who referred them, you get one entry into that end of the year drawing for the big good news in park swag package. So that's one entry for every new viewer that you bring in. So keep spreading the word and let's keep growing together as a team. All right, let's get to this, Jody. This is an amazing panel of professionals. And while all of us may not be from large departments or big cities, I think we can learn a lot from them as they have probably been in every imaginable situation. So let's meet these amazing people. Well, extremely excited. Like you said, we've been looking for, forward to this show. And these were the three best of the best that we needed to bring on. So thank all of you. First of all, John Dargle Jr. Commissioner, City of Atlanta, Georgia, Parks and Recreation Department, a nationally recognized department. It's an accredited agency through the Council of Accreditation for Parks and Recreation Agencies, CAPRA. And also, John is a certified Parks and Recreation Executive. He also served with many others on as an Executive Officer of top-notch gold medal award-winning departments. Live. Milwaukee County, Wisconsin Parks, Recreation and Cultural Department, and he also served with Fairfax County, Virginia Parks Authority. John also served in the U.S. Army Medical Service Corps as a Army Captain, and he was with the Army for over seven years. John, we are honored to have you on today. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank you, Jody. Thanks. You bet. Maria Nardi, Director, Miami-Dade County, Florida, Parks, Recreation, and Open Space Department, a gold medal award-winning agency and CAPRA-accredited agency with Council of Accreditation of Parks and Recreation Agencies. She is a fellow member of the American Academy of Parks and Recreation Association. And what's really amazing, I don't know how you're doing all this, Maria, but we're going with it. She is co-chair of the board of directors of the City Park Alliance, an independent nationwide organization solely dedicated to urban parks. And then finally, not surprisingly, she has received numerous recognitions such as the International Progressive Architecture Urban Design Award, Harvard Honored Award for Excellence in the Study of Architecture, Miami, and AIA Leadership and Government Award. Maria, so excited to have you. Thank you for joining us. You bet. Jay Nicholas Williams, 
Director of City of Oakland, California, Department of Parks and Recreation and Youth Development, a nationally recognized agency for its extensive programming and support services for the youth of the City of Oakland community. Nationally known, amazing department with youth. He is a certified Parks and Recreation Executive. He also, prior to joining City of Oakland, was with numerous executive leadership positions with gold medal departments with Minneapolis Parks and Recreation Park Board and City of Atlanta, Georgia Parks and Recreation. He also holds certifications in fundraising and volunteer management and also diversity of inclusion. Oh my gosh, Nicholas, thank you for joining us. Thank you, great to be here. And then I'm just gonna do this from the heart. <laughs> Dr. Michael Ann Lord, we have been together for decades. I don't mind saying that, but <laughs> Michael Ann, thank you for joining us. Executive Director of TRAFS, Texas Parks and Recreation Society. Michael Ann will be joining us later in a segment of the uh, Good News with State Associations, but here's the bottom line. She served on the NRPA Board, Board of Trustees. I have leaned on her and many of the past presidents of NRPA and chairs to lean on her for helping us through so many trends, issues, and situations nationally. And of course, she was with the Special Olympics over the years with Texas, and we just cannot be more honored. And we've got to talk about Dr. Michael Ann Lord later on and, the, and traps. Welcome to the show, Michael Ann. You bet. All right. I know. It's so exciting. Oh, my gosh. Good news, national news. Here we are. We've got a lot going on nationally. All of us know that. But here's a few frameworks on it. First of all, we want to recognize Black History Month. And this is honoring the triumphs and struggles of African-Americans throughout the U.S. history. Here is the key. The theme this year is Black Health and Wellness. Great theme. We all can plug into that, obviously, with our field. But here's also, if you want details, wanted to go to the top, top website of history.com. They are focusing on all kinds of plethora of information on Black History Month. And in not only on current activities, but what is the history. So please tune into that. Also a reminder, February 11th, that is the deadline, which is tomorrow, for mentors and mentees to sign up for the American Academy of Parks Recreation Administration Mentorship Program. We already, and Anne-Marie, I can't believe this, and I, I know we're having a little bit of, of hopefully uh, encouragement here, but we have over 100 right now that have signed up for this mentorship national program. So I know Maria and I are involved, and we're, we're going to sure pull along John and Nicholas on that one. So hopefully you can join us. It takes five minutes to fill out the application for uh, folks, and we will not turn down anyone that wants to be a mentee. Also, National Recreation Park Association National Awards are open. That deadline will be March 25th. Go to nrpa.org for more information. Gold medal awards. Wow, a lot of applications are open right now for the excellence of Parks and Recreation Agency management. That is going to be closing on March 26th. Go to the American Academy website or NRPA. And again, we can put some of this in the chat if necessary. Also, a shout out to Anthony Iraqi. 
uh, in parks, Michigan Parks and Recreation is going to be kicking off a series all about open space and the history of open space in Michigan. This is key. They have best practices that are really trend-setting in Michigan. And just a little bit of tidbit, we will be having the executive director of Michigan Parks and Recreation State Association on our April 14th show. So stay tuned on this, more to come. And then finally, February 17th, two o'clock Eastern time, learn about equity work going on with US tennis and parks across our country. One of our leading speakers who has been a guest on this show, Chris Bass, director of City of Douglasville, Georgia, will be the speaker on working with US tennis. It is amazing information they're going to share. They're going to bring in their DNI um, uh, leader director out of USTA nationwide. It is going to be a plethora again of information. So I hope you'll join in and you can get that information at usta.com and type in the actual search um, 2022 CTA and Park Webinar Series. And they're gonna have nine, nine uh, highlighted series. So stay tuned on that. Whew, a lot going on, you guys. Here we go. Question number one, panelists. As leading executives and national recognized urban parks and recreation agencies who offer daily and evening public services, you execute hundreds of transactions daily, well, thousands in some cases, I'm sure, and work tirelessly to provide safe and clean parks and recreation facilities. There's two parts to this question, as you know. How is your department handling these staff shortages? What is your agency doing differently pre-pandemic versus pre-pandemic in handling these operational staff challenges within areas of your department? And this question keeps coming up from the audience, but I'd like to start with you, John. How are you handling this? Yeah, thank you, Jody, for that question. Um, well, in order to attract and retain top talent, we've kicked off a a working relationship with our Department of Human Resources to identify at-risk mission-critical positions for participation in a targeted departmental compensation study. And so the primary objectives of that is to inform the city on the parameters required to maintain a competitive hiring and retention posture with other comparable agencies, government agencies, and the private sector within the metropolitan area of Atlanta. Meanwhile, I've also extended uh, the hiring time for seasonal hires, shift and, and staggering employees' work schedules to ensure that we have adequate coverage on weekends and, and, uh, and other programmatic needs. And we also have been advertising our positions um, via social media and hosting wraparound hiring events in our neighborhoods, bringing the recruitment and hiring to our residents. So it's a one-stop shop, our residents or interested uh, residents can come in. We go through um, interview and then actually process the paperwork right there on site. Also, as a me other means to recruit and retain employees, 
I've, I have the authorization to make salary adjustments of up to 10%. So we've offered salary, adjust, uh, salary adjustments to some of our at-risk mission essential positions to take on more responsibilities and or recruitment um, with those salary adjustments on some of our park operations, as well as we've adjusted some of the job requirements such as, uh, such as uh, CDLs, where we're allowing new employees a grace period of up to six months to attain, to attain those licenses and uh, certifications. Whereas before it was a prerequisite for hiring um, uh, interest, interested people. Most recently, the city council also put forward legislation expanding the city's efforts in recruiting staff for unfilled positions and providing a tool to elevate and train existing staff for higher paying roles uh, modeled around a um, existing program in the city of Philadelphia. So we're excited about that legislation and we hope to be able to provide or address our citywide chronic and high demand career vacancies to train uh, workers, incumbent workers, and to uh, move them from their current entry level positions to a promotional position. You know, John, so smart. You are taking away every barrier. You are going to the people. You are working on it internally and externally. Great, great input, folks. Great advisement here. Maria, join in. Yeah, I agree, uh, John. Uh, all of those initiatives are outstanding. Uh, you know, we're doing a lot of the similar ones that I won't go into detail. Uh, you know, the compensation study is something that we completed for uh, one block of positions, but we're doing that throughout the department to make sure that we're able to just uh, be able to attract and keep the talent that we have. And also um, to finally, in many cases, get the right adjustment to the salaries that in many cases, like I've said, are very low comparable to other uh, positions in the county. So the good thing is we have a mayor who's very supportive of that. We've already gone through a first wave and we're gonna continue that. What I would add to all the other things that, um, you know, similar to you that we are doing is that we're also, as a way of enhancing uh, our workforce, we are um, sending out marketing campaigns uh, for each of those positions that are very difficult to fill. So they're very focused marketing campaigns. Um, and we're also, in terms of uh, recruiting, uh, we are partnering with uh, universities, you know, we're partnering with the usual partners that we hope everyone will be taking advantage of to partner with them to get the word out about the need that we have here in positions. Um, one of the things too that I think is important that we continue to build on is um, in our case, we established a uh, parks, mini parks university within the department to establish a base um, you know, competency uh, for all people that are coming in because we're having so many people that we're bringing in and folks that are moving around, we wanna continue that level of knowledge uh, throughout the department. And that's something that uh, we have initiated that we are uh, rolling out for the entire department. We've targeted key positions, leadership positions, 
uh, with our park managers uh, and as a starter, but everyone in the department is uh, learning from that. And it really talks about the entire organization as a whole. So there's an easy transition from one position to another, and it builds a great culture uh, within the department as well. So one last thing that I wanna add to that is that uh, we are, as many parks in the throughout the country, we are the sites for uh, testing, COVID testing and vaccination sites. So uh, one of my team members had a great idea of actually posting QR codes and job placement signs there because we get thousands of people there. So that's a spot where we have, you know, an audience there. And we do that at all of our events, at all of our activities, uh, as well as, like I said, participating with universities. So. Oh, that's excellent. I, again, already you have five probably new ideas that uh, have come about just from you too. Nicholas, chime in. Yeah, I've been writing ideas down the whole time. I know. Thanks a lot for that. Um, yesterday, in fact, we kicked off our hiring season for the summer hire. And so um, we've got uh, posters and flyers up around the city. Uh, we've got the jobs listed. Obviously, we've got QR codes on there. Uh, we're hiring entry-level positions. So we try to get our young high schoolers into parks and recreation for the first time. And then we've got some other seasoned positions we're hiring, obviously, sports officials, lifeguards, and water safety instructors. Um, I've heard my uh, colleagues sort of talk about um, pay studies. Most recently, we realized that our light, we were really light in lifeguards. Our lifeguards were, were leaving us to go either work in other agencies or, or work actually inside of the park because the rec leader positions where they work inside were actually paying a bit more than working outside. So most people would just choose to sort of work inside. Uh, we worked with HR, we did a, a, a citywide, statewide study and I'm happy to say now we're the highest paid uh, lifeguard job in, this, in, in, in the state of California. Wow. Um, and so we have been able to uh, retract, retract our lifeguards. We had a, a certification program where we helped um, uh, our season, our less seasoned staff get their certifications for lifeguards. Um, one, we have a link with our local high schools. We, uh, there are about six local high schools that we actually go into to do little mini job fairs. Uh, to get kids into our programs for jobs. Uh, we do community pop-ups. And this ha these have been the most, um, have, have brought in the most uh, 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 new candidates where we will just find a place to set up. We'll just pop up a tent. Um, we'll play some music and say, we're doing an immediate job fair. You don't even have to have your resume come. We'll help you fill out, fill out your job application now. Um, and we've got some of the best people in our programs um, because the best people to work at our sites are people that are actually from the communities and know those communities. So we're really excited about that. Um, I'm really excited about what Maria said about the mini parks university, um, mm -hmm. how we're sort of internally trying to increase our internal capacity. Um, we talked about how to sort of pull in new talent, but just briefly, we have just kicked off an OPRYD wellness plan so that we can retain the talent that we have. Uh, we realized that over this last ten, uh, over this last two years, uh, Parks and Rec has demonstrated its value, um, but we've also been been deemed as essential, right? And so we want to be able to hold on to our good talent. And so we're building a wellness program where people um, have opportunities to to uh, participate in wellness programs, even at work. 
and we're starting something now we're at 10 45 every day and at 10 45 i might have to stop for a second because it's our wellness moment you've got to get up and stretch and move around right. to free your mind from whatever is sort of happening um it's pretty cool if you're in a meeting and all of a sudden you just stand up like nope it's wellness time i've got to relax for a second and so <laughs> that is great we're really enjoying that um but uh, I've also learned a lot from some John and Maria. So, so thank you so much. This is a great question. I'll tell you what, Nicholas, now that is innovative. Now, here we are. Yeah, I'm with you. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> that is a great innovative idea. Department-wide health moment. Way to go. Oh, that's fun. All right, folks, we're going to go ahead and move on to our first poll question. Anne-Marie, it's back to you. All right, absolutely. I, I love that. I'm tempted to make everybody get up and do jumping jacks, but I won't. I won't. <laughs> you want to, I mean, feel free, but I won't make you do that. Um, also, just a reminder to everybody in the audience, if you have any questions for our panel, um, there is a Q&A function at the bottom of the uh, Zoom control panel there. You should have that. It's the sort of little talk bubble one. Um, I think we're all familiar with Zoom by now, right? <laughs> but please feel free to uh, just um, pose a question at any time and, uh, and we'll jump in and get the panelists to answer that for you. Okay, here is our first poll question. Um, we would like to know how you and the audience are dealing with staffing shortages. Are you having staff take on additional responsibilities? reducing maintenance in some areas, um, reducing some of the regular programming that you offer, or maybe you're reducing seasonal programming. Um, are you hiring interns or part-time workers to help fill that void? Um, offering hiring incentives, you heard that um, option offered today by one of our panelists. Reducing office hours so staff can perform additional duties. Um, cutting meetings to create more time for action. There's one I don't think anybody would argue with. Um, or something else. Is it something else? And as you know, there's never enough uh, options in Zoom to put all the potential. I mean, you, you heard a lot of great ideas here from our panelists that we, we haven't even thought of. So if it is something else that you're doing, please check that and then write that in the Q&A so that we can share that with everybody. Because um, I know there are a lot of creative minds out there and a lot of people doing a lot of different things. And boy, staffing shortages are everywhere in every industry. And it makes it really hard to get people when you know everybody's competing for the same, the same folks. So I know there's a lot of creativity going on out there to, to help um, to help get that. So, all right, we're gonna give everybody about five more seconds here on that. I see a couple folks still voting. So go ahead and vote if you would like to. And we're gonna end the poll in three, two, one. And let's share out the results with everybody. Um, staff taking on additional responsibilities was certainly the, the highest response. Um, but a lot of people doing a, a lot of different things there. So again, I see a couple of you voted for something else. Go ahead and share those ideas so we can share those out with everybody. And um, that's what the show is all about, is sharing what we know with, with our colleagues. So that's great. Um, and uh, thanks for everyone for taking the poll. As you know, a lot of the ideas that we get um, come from the poll questions, the surveys that we send to everybody after the show. Um, so please fill those out as well. Tell us what you love about the show, what you'd love to see, um, and we'll try to hit all those ideas for you on future shows. All right, Jody. with that, I'm gonna turn it back to you for our next question. All right, question number two. When it comes to equity inclusion, how is your agency impacting and changing people's lives when it comes to these two important aspects of delivering parks and recreation services 
and also in park recreation spaces, because we know your departments manage numerous types of variety of spaces. So let's go ahead, Maria, it's over to you. Thanks, Jody. So, you know, I, for us in Miami-Dade County Parks, uh, this is a community that is the result of, of a lot of uh, suburban sprawl and a lot of highways and a lot of um, traffic and such. So mobility to a community that's primarily dependent on automobiles is uh, you know, challenging. So for us in Miami-Dade County, our first step towards equity and inclusion was really developing a system, a park system that uh, thinks about parks in a different way. And this was uh, you know, uh, many years back, but its principles is something that we are continued implementing today. So this is a, about a 10 year plan that builds a system that is not just about parks, but public spaces, natural and cultural areas, all woven and connected with greenways and blueways and complete streets that are designed not just for cars, but also for people and cyclists, and these streets to be designed as linear parks. So this is important to us because this is really first and foremost the network that then allows us to provide a park for everyone in the community. Our goal is the minute you step outside your doorstep, regardless of who you are, where you live, you will be in a great park system. And it starts with the front yard, going to the sidewalk, tree-lined streets, connecting just a quilt of neighborhood parks, uh, county parks in our, in our case, city parks, county parks, state parks, federal parks, all together. So it really starts with that network that we continue to implement. And then as we hone in to the specific parks, for us, it's also making sure that there are no boundaries, physical boundaries to accessing the parks that currently exist. So we did an access and equity analysis in partnership with the University of Miami and the health department to look at what are possible solutions to any impediment to accessing the existing parks that we have. And then when we acquire land, we are really focused on health equity and looking at areas that, are, that have the greatest needs uh, so that everyone can have a, a park 10 minutes from where you live. And in the programs that we offer, you know, our programs are all about inclusion and we continue to build on that ethos. And when it comes to providing that infrastructure, the parks itself, all of our parks and our capital programs are about making sure that everyone has access to every single activity that we do, whether, you know, all of our, you know, it goes, it, you know, it goes without saying, right, all our playgrounds, of course, you know, are they, you know, that is number one, but then it goes on to every aspect of the park system uh, from new recreation centers and rehabilitating in many cases or restoring, uh, renovating the existing ones to make sure they comply with all of our uh, accessibility requirements. So a lot of moving pieces, but something that is very, very important to us in Miami, especially also with our rising heat index and climate change uh, for us providing shade for everyone uh, especially focused on areas on underserved communities that have the less green is something also that we are very much committed to and have been implementing, so. Well, it's an amazing plan and folks, please take a look at your NRPA magazine last month, 
tremendous information on Miami-Dade, this innovative you know, development. It is amazing with Plan Z, all types of things going on. Thank you, Maria. We really appreciate that. All right, Nicholas, let's move to you. Thanks. So I'll talk about it from two different perspectives. I'll start with programming. Uh, we have sort of revamped our whole system on how we program um, so that we are uh, being uh, equitable and, and inclusive. Um, Oakland is considered one of the most culturally diverse cities in America. There are over 140 languages spoken every day here in Oakland. And so um, when we talk about equity and inclusion, we're talking about providing access and providing uh, a welcoming spaces. And so first, off the bat, we, we changed our mission um, to include equity, but the last sentence of, it, of our mission is the most important to us. And it says, we achieve this mission through intentional engagement and by removing the barriers that prohibit equitable opportunities for all. And so our town camp uh, recreation program model is that equitable model that we put together. Uh, we, 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 got, we inherited a system that had um, you have some recreation centers in affluent areas of town, and you can imagine the, the, the level of programming that's happening there. Those kids are going to Disneyland. They're having warm meals. <laughs> they are just having the best time. Then you've got other areas of town that are not affluent. Um, the kids aren't able to pay the $400 a week. Um, oftentimes, you got a warm milk situation. You, you, they're not going on trips. It's just, it's just totally different. We've totally revamped that. Every one of our recreation centers um, provides the same level of program. We provide the same curriculum at every center. Um, our food service is the same at every center. And if one kid goes to Disneyland, all 1,200 of the kids are going. That's how we have figured out how to provide this equity. Um, and we've done that by working with the Oakland Parks and Recreation Foundation, and we've created a scholarship fund. And so our motto is that we will turn no child or family away for their inability to pay. So now it doesn't matter what side of town you live on or what center you go to, you're going to have this top level um, uh, programming that we put together. And all of our program partners, before we're able to sign with them, they have to be able to create to either get to each center or we're going to bring the kids all together to one place. Um, we've had some challenges with that around COVID. But that's the that's the big that's the piece to it. If we're teaching karate at Redwood Center, then we're teaching karate citywide. If we're teaching cooking at Rainbow Center, then all the kids are learning how to cook. And it's been a model that has really served us well. From the parks perspective, um, there are always challenges. We just talked about the diversity and the different languages, right? Um, Lake Merritt is our most popular park. It is the first national wildlife park in the country, right here in Oakland, California and everybody wants to be there. Uh, the bicycle, the, the motorcycle group wants to be there. The low rider group <laughs> wants to drive around it and be seen. The teenagers want to be there and hang out. Um, the naturalists want to come and see birds. Um, there's people that want to kayak and, and canoe, and we have to find a way for everyone to coexist peacefully. Um, it's, it's difficult at times because sometimes people feel like, hey, this is my park, I live here. Um, and, and I get to say what happens here. And, 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 and that's, not, that's not the case. Um, this is a, a Oakland City Park, everyone's welcome. But we also try to educate the public about 
um, uh, a good good ways to be a good park citizen and to be respectful both of the park and nature and respectful of other people. And sometimes that means uh, you know our, our park stewards will walk up to a group and say, "Hey, um, we're really enjoying the music." but it's kind of loud because we're not able to enjoy the music from this party here. We've learned that that approach, that community approach is way better than sending in a strong arm or sending in enforcement. Mm -hmm. Most people actually want to be in community with one another. And just a simple reminder that, hey, we're all here in community. We're all trying to enjoy this space is a fantastic start to people um, working together. Oftentimes, people just put their picnics together and it just turns into a bigger event. Um, people in Oakland really like to hang out with one another. And so I think we really have to focus on equity. Uh, when we're building new, new programs, we ask this one particular question. Who is this for? Who is gonna benefit? And then the hardest question, who's gonna be excluded from this? And then with that last question, we have to go back and say, how do we remove those barriers of exclusion so that everyone can benefit from this particular program or offering? So it's continual work. Uh, we work uh, very closely with the Department of Race and Equity. Uh, the director, Darlene Flynn, is a national, nationally known uh, expert in race and equity. And so we tap in with her often to make sure that we're doing the right thing. Obviously in this space, sometimes we make mistakes. Uh, we apologize genuinely. We, we go into communication so that we don't make the same mistakes over again. So equity and inclusion basically starts with relationships where we can go to your community and say, how can we better serve you? What are the barriers that, that, that are in place that are, that are keeping you from participating? And then how can we better serve you as an agency? And so we feel like we've made leaps and bounds with that. We're really proud of the work that we make in, in this area. Well, Nicholas, you should be. And that's one reason we really need you to come on the show. You have made it work. You have so many people that populate your parks, like all of our colleagues on here. But you know what? You have figured it out. With that community park stewards, oh, yes, that is a great approach. And who knows who's all become friends through all of that interaction. Great job on that. John, bring us home on this one. All right. Uh, thank you. Some great uh, feedback. And you know, addressing the, the quality of our parks and recreation system and ensuring that all Atlantans are served equitably has been a top priority for the department. With the focus on equity, we recently approved our 10-year comprehensive parks and recreation master plan called Activate ATL. And it's our guide and blueprint, much like in Miami and, and Oakland, we're using towards the achieving that world-class parks and recreation system for all over the next 10 years. Uh, equity is a driving force of the Activate ATL plan. It addresses some of the inequities and geographic disparities that we've had within the parks and recreation system and it ensures um, that the future investments will be prioritized, much like in Oakland, asking those questions to improve the existing parks and recreation system, to break down barriers, especially in historically underserved parks. Uh, through our master plan effort, uh, we have also worked with Bloomberg Associates with insights from the CDC and using information from other peer cities like Raleigh, Miami-Dade County, Milwaukee Recreation, and Minneapolis, and then our office of of diversity and inclusion. And also we have an office in the mayor's office of innovation and performance to launch an interactive 
parks and equi equity, uh, parks and recreation equity data tool, which will help us guide prioritization and using data-driven mapping to accurately identify parks, recreation centers, and neighborhoods with the greatest need for park investment. And we, we're looking forward to rolling that out, launching that sometime this summer, which also includes capital improvements and tracking, evaluating the impact of our efforts over time. Our plan is to strategically, obviously, to strategically and equitably invest, connect, and grow our parks and recreation system. Um, what other opportunities, much like uh, Oakland and Miami have done, we've also had an impact uh, on people's lives through serving and delivering hot meals and healthy snacks, programming for our fast growing aging population, investing in amenity driven use of our system that attracts people being more digital and tech reliant, virtual learning pods and virtual classes, and addressing a, a variety of health concerns throughout the community uh, that we've been able to get uh, feedback from the residents and also these other offices I've mentioned earlier. We're also, um, the mayor's priority is, is now engaging our youth um, more heavily in program and giving them an opportunity to grow up in an environment as responsible adults. We're also investing in the comfort and attractiveness of our spaces. Restrooms are always high on that list of improvements needed. We're also addressing the backlog of maintenance needs. And we plan on having an upcoming bond referendum in May of this year that will make a dent in some of those backlog maintenance issues. We're improving the lack of awareness of our parks and recreation offerings We've recently hired a marketing and communications team, ensuring environmental stewardship and protection with the use of our tree trust funds to hire staff and acquire property, and then addressing the, the building wear and tear uh, that we always get uh, feedback on. We're also part of that commitment to providing quality park within a 10 minute walk for all residents. Most recently, we're collaborating with the Atlanta Public Schools the Trust for Public Land and the Urban Land Institute of Atlanta and our Park Pride Advocacy Group to renovate 10 schoolyards over the next three years to make schoolyards available to the public during non-school hours. This past year, we also partnered with the Conservation Fund to add and expand parks and trails across the city by acquiring 15 acres of public land for the development of a new park in Southwest Atlanta. And now we can boast about ensuring that every neighborhood now has a park, adding these acres into the city's park and green space inventory, as you know, helps further our commitment to providing all residents access to green and having a green and equitable city that allows for healthy recreation opportunities. Uh, this. Um, we also believe that these actions and the tasks that we intend to take on alongside our community partners will frame a high quality and more equitable parks and recreation system. Well, <laughs> no doubt. You know, um, I'm just sitting here listening to all three of you. You're talking about heroic approach 
of execution. Excellent job, you guys. And again, we were hoping because you are managing such large systems, but folks, listen to these people. They are getting down into the heart of their communities. They are uh, making sure their communities have the say and making sure everything is uh, not, everything's overturned, whether it's equity or inclusion or any type of question like that. Way to go, everyone. Thank you so much for your great insight on this question. All right, Anne-Marie, let's go to you. We have two more poll questions coming up. We do, absolutely. So you heard John mention the importance of data. So our next question to you in the audience is, um, how does your department currently, currently obtain relevant data to make the case for funding or to demonstrate outcomes? Um, are you, do you get that from local or state government, uh, local or state park department, NRPA or other industry associations, um, mining the internet? Uh, a staff member researcher, maybe somebody on staff that does research or an independent researcher, um, public polls and surveys getting out there grassroots and asking folks um, on the street and in parks what they think. Um, we don't have a great source for relevant data. I heard a lot of people say that as well. That they just aren't really sure where to get it or something else. And again, if, if it's something else that you are using um, to get data, please write that in there. Uh, wow, a lot of active voting going on right now. So we're going to give you guys um, another 10 seconds or so just to make sure we stay um, we stay on task here. I see um, Alethea Walker uh, uses registration systems to get data. That was her something else. Thank you for sharing that. Um, we'll give everybody else just a minute or two here, or probably more like 10 seconds or so. Voting's kind of slowing down, so we'll, we'll end this one in three, two, one, and let's go ahead and share out the results. A lot of you using public polls or surveys, that's not a surprise. It's a great way to get data from just uh, talking to folks, but um, boy, a lot of a lot of local and state government, uh, NRPA, certainly a fabulous source, mining the internet, um, staff members who do it, other popular answers. So um, thanks so much for taking that one. We're going to launch right into our third poll question here. Um, and this one um, is pretty easy. Uh, we're just wondering, you know, with with thinking about just measuring a potential lag effect on budgets based on the increased perception of parks finally being seen by more people as an essential service. So what we'd like to know is over the last two years, has your operations and maintenance budget increased at a rate equal to or greater than the per capita growth in your jurisdiction's population, grown, but at a rate smaller than the per capita, so it's not really keeping up with the size of the community, has stayed about the same per capita, has decreased, or you're not really sure about that figure. Um, so go ahead and vote for that one. A lot less choices on this one. Um, I don't think there's a something else option for this one. I believe that covers all of the different options that you might have. So uh, go ahead and vote for that one. Looks like everybody knows their answer. The voting's already slowed down. So we'll give you about three, two, one, We'll go ahead and end that one, share results. Has stayed about the same for most of you out there um, and pretty evenly spaced throughout all of the other responses. So that one's uh, definitely um, the, the leading answer for all the options there. So thank you again um, for taking the polls. We really appreciate it. Remember, if you have any questions for our panel, please put those in the Q&A. And Jody, I'm gonna turn it back to you for our third question. All right, fantastic. Third question, panelists. Our audience would like to know from you and share your best practices that you are using 
with your department, and these are specifics that they have asked about. You're addressing climate change migration, high-tech engineering, such as solar or wind, and overall green infrastructure. And Nicholas, let's start with you on this one. Uh, thanks so much. So the city of Oakland has adopted recently, it's, uh, it's called the 2030 Equitable Climate Action Plan. Um, and I'll just share a couple of the high level points um, from this plan. It is designed to enhance community energy resilience. Um, it is designed to identify and reduce uh, financial risk from climate change, um, to develop local carbon investment programs, um, to expand and protect a tree canopy, um, to accelerate the replacement of city vehicles with electric vehicles, um, and then to reduce uh, emissions from other vehicles and equipment that we use. That's sort of more at the city level, the charge that we have. Uh, more specifically, there are two uh, incidents that I want to speak about. Number one is we are currently rebuilding one of our historic recreation centers. About three years ago on Thanksgiving, we had a fire and it burned down um, one of our recreation centers. And so we are in the process of the rebuild there, um, but our new Mosswood Center um, is going to be built all electric, um, it's going to be LEED Platinum, and it's going to be solar panel ready. And so phase three of that project is a, uh, is a, uh, a swimming pool, and that swimming pool is, is designed to be heated uh, with solar panels. So uh, wish us luck with that, uh, with that uh, opportunity. And then um, as we're building, we're expanding our waterfront parks right now. So Estuary Park, which is built on our waterfront, has been designed to anticipate the sea level rise due to climate change. And so the park elevation has been raised by two feet to accommodate um, the 50-year the 50 uh, uh, elevation rise that could happen over time. And so uh, we're very uh, thoughtful about climate um, change and climate control. I think the best thing that we could do right now, it goes back to our programming, is that we would find uh, little small science projects and small ways, uh, innovative ways to teach our youth and our kids about climate change and climate control. And so that they could begin to develop a mindset around this. Uh, many of us uh, are in these urban areas, some of the, the areas that are, are mostly uh, devastated by by these effects of climate are our internal areas in, in some of our inner city areas. And the fact of the matter is it's just an information shortage. And so as we don't consider ourselves necessary in the primary education space, we definitely operate in the secondary education space with community and families. And so just education about what's happening with climate change and how each individual kid, each individual family can contribute to uh, protecting our valuable resources while we still have them. Wow, oh, that is exciting on that plan. Oh my gosh, and you're dealing with the, the surge and everything that you deal with right there being on the, on the coast. Uh, John, let's turn to you. Okay, thank you, Jody. Um, there've been several capital uh, transformational prizes, projects that we call, that we've completed throughout the city over the last three years with the development of green infrastructure and some water innovation at the same time, revitalizing neighborhoods and expanding sustainable green spaces with the opening of our uh, Westside Park at Bellwood Quarry, Cook Park in Historic Vine City, and our uh, Grant Park Gateway Project. These big projects address climate change concerns, improving our water storage capacity, 
addressing severe flooding and, re and uh, also replacing aging, aging gray infrastructure with green infrastructure. At the same time, building a park and recreation facility for all to enjoy. We partnered with the Department of Watershed Management and the Mayor's Office of Resiliency and Sustainability to incorporate some of these latest technologies. Um, in collaboration with the Trust for Public Land, the development of Cook Park in an area that had historically suffered from social and economic challenges, this new 16-acre uh, park alleviates flooding by capturing and storing up to 10 million gallons of stormwater while creating a vibrant community destination and ultimately revitalizing the neighborhood. And through our recent acquisition and preservation of Lake Charlotte, we have now over 200 acres of forested land and wildlife habitat within the city limits that we made possible through the work uh, with the Conservation Fund and the use of our tree trust fund. This has proven to enhance our urban tree canopy, positively impacting climate change, reduce pop pollution, and encourage uh, the community to, uh, you know, encourage the community to gather in social events and activities. Another example includes the Grant Park Gateway Project. And this is no ordinary $48 million parking deck we have doubled it as a 2.5 acre rooftop green space with this structure, which includes a rainwater harvesting system that helps to manage irrigation demands in the park. And just recently, the project was recognized uh, by the US Green Building Council and received LEED Silver, the Sites Gold, and the Park Smart Bronze certifications. It triple win in sustainability. Mm -hmm tech, smart innovation, and design. And, and, and recently, we worked with partners to install trash traps in some of our waterways around parks. And we've also worked to install solar panels at nine of our recreation centers and plan on continuing evaluating additional sites to help with energy savings and environmental stewardship. Well, I tell you, I, I have looked at that grant project, gateway project. It is amazing yeah. what you are doing with that space. Um, folks, take a look at it. You just got to keep looking at these projects that they're talking about, whether it's Oakland, Miami, Dade, or this Atlanta project. They're just so far ahead of the curve. It's phenomenal. Maria, bring us home on this one. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing to hear the work that you all are doing, John, Nicholas, just incredible. And it, uh, you know, I'll go into what I'm going to say, but it just really showcases, as I hear all of this discussion, uh, the role of park professionals. We're in such a unique position to advance the health, resiliency, equity issues of our communities. We are shaping the communities and it's just yeah, fantastic. Exactly. Uh, in Miami, uh, we, uh, at the county level, the mayor developed a sea level rise plan and a climate change action plan. Both feature uh, Miami-Dade County parks prominently. In fact, the sea level rise, as you can all imagine, we, that's very, uh, you know, very important to us here in Miami-Dade County. And a lot of the coastal parks that we have, a lot of the shoreline is within our park system. 
So for us, it's an it's really integrating a lot of different strategies from living shorelines, reconstructing the shorelines that we have, uh, making sure that uh, the parks that are along the shore that we think about, they are mainly historic. We think about how to tackle uh, raising the elevation of historic buildings and what that means. So for all of our uh, parks uh, that are along the coast, we did risk assessments. And I think that that's really important to begin that discussion that takes us to the next 50 years. What are those risk assessments? While we did specifically hone in on sea level rise studies along the coast, we're evaluating the system as a whole. Uh, and I think that that's a really important strategy to do. We have been, we're very fortunate we're moving forward with a massive capital program, over $500 million in capital programs that are really transforming the community through the renovation of parks, all through the lens of resiliency. If we talk about us being the front line of resiliency, we have had, we need our parks to be those examples and showcase what that means throughout the community. And I think when we talk about climate change, while we're talking about the specific infrastructure, we also need to think about uh, natural disaster and emergency management, which is an integral part of what we are also thinking about in terms of systems thinking. Uh, we are the places, the points of uh, contact for food distribution. During uh, COVID, we were responsible for mass food distribution for the entire county. That really has changed the way we think about climate change because it's directly related to when we are faced with natural disasters and having to step up and be the uh, front line for servicing our community. So uh, a lot of different things. Uh, we're very excited about implementing our resiliency plan, our parks master plans, once again, was really nestled in Olmstead principles that are time tested. Um, you know, and for us, it's about implementing those and providing that solution uh, to climate change that we know parks have a critical role in playing. Well, it's it's the hub of the community, and we know that we've been in it all of us for a long time, and we know parks is totally a focus and safe haven for our communities. So great comments, great ideas, and tremendous innovation, all of you. Let's move on to with Dr. Michael Ann Lord, and let's talk a little bit about traps. Um, again, congratulations on your upcoming retirement, Thank but you. Michael Ann, Talk a little bit about what Texas is doing. You're you're on the edge of your conference too. Uh, yeah, we're on the edge. We, uh, we start Monday uh, our <laughs> conference activities. Uh, once, let me just say thank you, panel, because you really uh, underscore the statement that parks make a difference, and we like to think that we make a difference in Texas as well. Uh, Traps, Texas Recreation and Park Society. We're we're sort of at a turning point. One, I'm retiring after 21 years, and so we have a new executive and, and we'll have some new staff come on board. But we're really, as an organization, seeing just as you all have said, um, the need to step up even more. You know, COVID really turned on the light bulbs. We thought we got lemons, but we really had that opportunity to make lemonade. And so that's really sort of the focus is for us to seize the moment and make um, take that opportunity. So we've just crafted, our leadership's crafted a new strategic plan and we sort of wrap that all up in terms of uh, what we call traps cornerstones, 
TRAPS CARES, connectivity, uh, advocacy resources, and education. And so we're looking at things such as, in terms of connectivity, we want to increase our community connections. Uh, we think we're, you know, the hubs of our community, but there's more we can do. There's more audiences we can reach out to. And we want to um, also uh, be advocates and advocates are beyond just the legislative process. That's where we probably all start, but we really want to start being standard setters. We were the first state association to sign on in support of the 10 minute walk. And we're in the process of uh, sort of crafting other standards that our agencies can uh, adhere to, but our citizens will know and maybe others will share. So we really, really see that advocacy is important. Along with that is to tell our story. You know, we don't do a, 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 the best job always in telling others what we do. This is a great opportunity to good news through parks. You get a chance to see all the, the good things people do, but we really need to tell our story. And, and so we're really committed to doing that both internally and externally. And, and so in doing that, we'll be trying to tap some of the model programs, but really setting up um, venues for exchange and networking, which, you know, COVID helped too with all our Zoom yeah. meetings and the like. So once again, seizing the moment, building on that opportunity. And then when it comes to resources, we're looking at um, member-centric kinds of resources in terms of information and, and the like. We're looking at really trying to quantify our outcomes, many of you on this panel really shared the importance of that. Um, I think people see the value, but our decision makers need to see the data. And so um, I think that's the kind of link that we're trying to, to address or, or do a better job of in, in terms of Texas. And then education is real central to us because we are um, a nonprofit 501c3 and we are an ISET accredited, which is the International Association of Continuing Ed and Training. And so we take that seriously. And so we're going to continue our commitment to a diverse and innovative um, learning opportunities and really look at trying to enhance education at all levels from that frontline and technical mm -hmm. staff to our directors. And you know, we're having a lot of, and in Texas at any rate, we're having a lot of changes in directors. Some are retiring. Okay. And they're not all coming by way of parks and recreation training and whatnot, whether that's curriculum or whether that's just growing up through the ranks. We're getting other folks that I'm sure bringing great stuff, but we need to help share our story, our passion, why we all got into this business and what we feel is that kind of flame that burns within us. And, and, and we're committed to trying to instill that as we welcome in that new um, leadership across the state. So um, I guess sort of we're, we're gonna do a lot of outreaching in the future. And I think uh, emphasis is really trying to, as I said on a note to myself, share the passion of parks with citizens and guests, as well as the providers. You know, you've been an inspiration to so many of us. I came into NRPA young, I don't mind saying young, <laughs> naive and really, um, Michael Ann, you just called us up to get better. And I can't thank you enough for that professionally and personally. So, you know, um, we're not going to let you go. I well, hope I you to go. <laughs> <laughs> we need you and your brain and your brain power because you have one of the best minds in our field. And okay. definitely we'll be tapping you some more for some really leadership. So again, 
She is part of the American uh, Parks and Recreation Administration. Thank goodness you're still going to be involved, but congratulations on your retirement. I, I just uh, can't believe it. It's just so proud of you. Yes. With well, every thank you so much. It's, it's been an honor to be a part of this profession um, without, without question. Yeah, well, it's your heart and soul. You can tell and you've been there from day one. Thank you so much. Um, let's go ahead. And now this is an exciting part of the show. Anne-Marie, let's talk about some amazing staff. Let's do it. And I'll tell you if there's anything at all that can follow up Dr. Lord, because um, that's a tough act to follow. Um, this would be it. So we, we love to do this segment. We call it Good News in Parks about Great People. And we give each of our um, regular panelists the opportunity to spend a minute or two recognizing somebody on their staff. So without further ado, um, John, tell us about Doug. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, during the peak of the pandemic back in 2019, Doug worked across the lines of the department and with other partner agencies creating circles of influence to move the agency forward. As a certified parks and recreation professional, Doug is a hands-on leader with a passion for public service. So he's got his hand in a lot of different things that we've got going on. He truly enjoys working collaboratively with diverse groups and he gets a lot done and, and has accomplished a lot in the last two or three years. Um, he's been with the organization for 12 years in recognition of his tireless efforts, we recently promoted Doug from the director of parks to a newly created deputy commissioner position as our chief operating officer. So I think that he continues um, his work um, as a very passionate leader and has really helped, uh, again, as I said, move the agency forward. That's awesome. Well, that sounds absolutely great. Thank you for sharing that. And congratulations, Doug, on your new position. All right, Maria, tell us about Eduardo. All right. So uh, a little bit about Eduardo. Um, he is a, a true eco hero. Uh, he's a native of Peru. And it's important because that's really where his passion uh, really flourished as he came to Miami. He's been with the department for about 22 years where he helped develop uh, the first environmental and education programs and camps and lecture series with, with middle schools. And what was unique about it is that it blended cultural, environmental, archeological, historical classroom and field approach um, regarding multiple habitats, uh, which received, a, it's one of our award-winning uh, programs. Um, he's part of our natural areas management team and which does amazing work. They're the folks that are out there uh, in the 26,000 acres of environmental lands that we manage where nobody can see them. They're tucked right in there uh, in the thick of things, um, but they're really uh, doing some amazing work. Uh, one of the challenges in managing the sites is that they never really got any funding for them, right? When we uh, are competing for so many other services, these are the ones that are typically not Funded. So what um, Eduardo did is to, to address this challenge in the management of these areas with the pro proliferation of an invasive species of potato vine uh, that negatively impact the health of this ecological system. 
um, he partnered with Terra High School, which is a magnet uh, high school that focuses on the environment, along with the USDA to set up a biocontrol lab where students raised uh, air potato beetles. This was a particularly uh, designed beetle for this purpose uh, where they specifically, we bred these beetles that focused on eating the leaves of the air potato vine and are used to help us control the invasive species plants. So these are our workers that are helping us tackle this vine. And during the five-year project, uh, we set free about 5,000 beetles uh, in our natural areas. So um, this year, once again, Eduardo is partnering with the USDA to now um, do set up the same and implement the, uh, the release of another beetle, which focuses on the root of the potato vine. And this has really brought about a, um, you know, some extraordinary impacts in terms of, of our restoration of our natural habitats. Uh, and he is just innovative. His enthusiasm and passion for the work that we do uh, is extraordinary. And his ability to just travel throughout the county and meet with everyone and bring a level of um, awareness about our natural environments to all communities is, is really uh, extraordinary. That, that is amazing. Uh, what a font of knowledge. I love that he's using things from the natural environment to control other issues. That, that's just an um, incredibly valuable situation and, and service. And um, thanks so much, Eduardo, for everything that you do. All right, finally, we'll let Nicholas round it out. Tell us about Margarita. So Margarita is one of our superstars. She has been with the department for 10 years. Um, like Michael Ann alluded to, she was a Parks and Rec kid. She grew up in Parks and Rec. Um, her actual, her best friend now is somebody that she met in gymnastics at one of the centers when she was seven. And those friendships has la have lasted over our life. Uh, we, I call Margarita our chief stimulator. She uh, produces the <laughs> curriculum for our town camp summer program and for our after school program. And so uh, Margarita makes sure that uh, we are stimulating the minds of our young attendees to making sure that we are um, keeping them or helping them to be a great level proficient. Um, she loves writing curriculum. Uh, what I like about the curriculum that she writes is that it, 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 uh, there it's pictures and, and images in it and, and you can find images and pictures of our kids in that curriculum. So they can look in there and see pictures of themselves while they're learning. Um, we had some early challenges with developing curriculum. We're parks and rec, you know, the kids don't wanna do school here. They don't wanna learn here. Um, unfortunately, Oakland's kids are, uh, are not performing as they should with grade level proficiencies. Um, black and brown children are, are, are actually, um, the percentage is around 15% of those kids at the third grade level who are actually proficient at third grade level reading and math. And so we realize the importance of the time that we have with these kids, that we need to encourage them and empower them to continue um, reading, to continue their love of math, and to continue to learn and to be engaged with their educational processes. And so Margarita and our staff have developed so many creative ways to do this. Um, when we, we, we have actually what's called a math relay. 
And so the kids line up like they're running in a relay race, um, but they have to run from a distance and get to the table. They have to do their math problem and make sure that it's right. And then they can go back and tag the other kid. So they're having fun. They're having physical and, and, and they're, they're being challenged physically. They're learning math. Um, and it's in all in a safe and, and, and wonderful environment. And so um, you can tell that she is um, dedicated to the work by the level of work that she produces. And when she goes out to the center, uh, the kids will tell you who's cool and who's not because they'll come up and give you a big hug and a high five. And she's always surrounded by kids getting hugs and high fives. So salute out to Margarita for the work that she's done helping to um, make Oakland Park's curriculum one of the best in the bay area so thank you so much to margarita yay yeah, really that is just awesome i love i love the idea of park and rec kid bringing up the next generation of park and rec it's absolutely awesome congratulations yeah. margarita thank all you. right thank you guys all so much for um sharing all of this information with us and uh we are going to get into our next little segment here um i don't see any new question and if you have any other question and answers drop them in the box um, but barring that, we are going to um, go on to our next segment. As you know, when we send out our uh, end of show surveys, we ask what's going on out there in, uh, in the world of park and rec. And we love to give people the opportunity to share stories um, in their communities. I mean, we can only have so many guests on the show, right? So this is your opportunity if you have a, a story or something that's going on. Um, also, just a reminder, get your colleagues to register uh, for the show. You can have a chance at that good news swag prize package and you register for this show and all of the other um, education opportunities at education.playcore.com. So this is a really, really cool story. So this was um, sent from Brian Sullivan. He's the director of Park and Rec from the village of Hawthorne Woods, um, Illinois. So during the outset of the pandemic, they wanted to create an Arbor Day event that would be fun for the community while also increasing the number of trees and of course be a COVID safe family friendly event at a time when everybody, I mean, just at the beginning of the onset of that, everybody was looking for something that they could do with their families that would be fun and sort of relieve all the stress of COVID, right? So they had a great group of volunteers to assist from um, Hawthorne Woods in Bloom, the Village's Sustainability Committee, uh, Committee and local high school students as well pitched in to volunteer. So here's how it worked. People who wanted to plant trees would drive through the community aquatic center parking lot and from their car, they would indicate the tree choice that they wanted from the available options. And then a volunteer would put a post-it note on their car with the tree variety species that they had chosen on it. So you can see that's what's happening here at this station. Then the car would advance to the next station and volunteers would place the tree indicated on the post-it note in the vehicles. Um, they would have the trunks or the rear hatch lifted and the tree would go in there. All the volunteers remained masked and nobody was um, allowed to exit the vehicles to keep it safe. And then participants also received um, tree planting techniques and ongoing care tips so that they could make sure that that tree was planted correctly and that they knew how to take care of it so that it rooted and um, you know took root and grew. And then they also received pollinator seed packets to assist with establishing monarch friendly gardens because monarchs stopped there on their um, commute from north to south. So that's very important to the community as well. So this past year, the event featured a selection of hazelnut, red osher dogwood, persimmon, and schumard oaks. 
Um, the trees are all purchased through the Illinois State Manson Nursery. So this is so cool. Not only does it help to fulfill the community's requirements for obtaining and annually renewing Hawthorne Woods Tree City designation, which they have from the Arbor Day Foundation, but they have a goal of adding 1,500 newly planted trees over a five-year period with this event. So during the first two years, um, they've given away, get this, 372 three to four foot tree saplings in 2020 and another 408 in 2021. So they're well on their way to that goal. Um, and just imagine the benefits to the community of this, the, the growing the tree canopy, wildlife habitat, healthy air quality, shade, reduction of heat island effects, um, all the great things that trees provide. So it's a great story. Um, and thanks so much for sharing that, Brian. And to everybody out there, send in your stories. We love to share these great ideas with everybody. Okay, we have some pretty fun news to share as well. Um, for March, Jody and I will both be in California at the CPRS conference and expo on March 10th. So we will be doing Good News in Parks live from that venue, like really live, like seriously live in a studio kind of a thing. Um, you can register now to attend that show. We have no idea how that's going to go. We have never done this before. So tune in. It could be awesome and it could be Absolutely hysterical. I guess we will find out. Um, we're going to focus on generating revenue with great programming. Um, again, register at education.playcore.com. One change to our usual schedule will be on at two o'clock Eastern, not one, so that we don't conflict with the CPRS opening session. Um, and big thanks to Stephanie Stevens, CPRS Executive Director, and her team for helping us put on this fun live event. Um, are you ready for this, Jody? This this is going to be kind of crazy. I'm you know what? We're always pushing the envelope. Uh, we don't want to change. The <laughs> <laughs> fun about the show, it's authentic, real life, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, it is going to be a good time. <laughs> well, and here, you know, I just want to say to everyone today, I, I don't know where the time's gone, but, you know, keep leading unconditionally. That that's just your mantra. All of you, all three, well, four of you have led unconditionally for our field. And we appreciate it so much. You are the sheroes and heroes of our field. And from the heart, thank you for your valuable time today. Uh, can't wait to go to California. Stephanie Seasons, she rocks. She runs an amazing uh, CPRS. And Anne-Marie, let's go after it. Let's go after it. I get Nicholas, you want to take us out with one of those stretch breaks? <laughs> Yay, everybody. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next All time. All right. Thank you.